This is the Horse Radio Network. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor from Equestrian Businesswomen. And you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we speak with Ann Schubert of Intentional Finance LLC, who talks about the topic that lots of people would rather avoid, finances and investing. We learn more about working with a financial planner, the relationship between employers and employees when investing, how it's never too late to start investing, and more about Anne's fascinating career and her role in helping women-owned businesses. Anne started her professional career planning to be an astrophysicist, receiving degrees in physics from Princeton University and Caltech. After realizing that she was not cut out to be a pure research scientist, She shifted gears into a 30-year career in the defense industry, where she first wrote software and later managed programs and business divisions for small and large defense contractors. In 2014, while enrolled in the University of New Mexico's Executive MBA program, Anne made another major career transition, becoming a licensed financial advisor. Three years later, she co-founded Intentional Finance, LLC, an independent, woman-owned, registered investment advisor firm. As a horse-crazy girl growing up in an apartment in New York City and riding in Central Park, Anne made a promise to herself. One day, she would own a horse. Many years later, when her daughter wanted to try equestrian vaulting, Anne took her first step back into the horse world. Her daughter and son were founding members of a vaulting team in the mountains outside of Albuquerque, where she lives. And Anne helped organize and manage the team as a nonprofit. After some years in the sport, she became president of the local vaulting regional organization, running three competitions a year. She finally got a horse of her own and returned to riding and dressage. One horse, of course, turned into five that she currently shares with nine acres of her New Mexico heaven and enjoys working with women to help them become intentional about their money decisions. She specializes in helping women in male-dominated fields and professions such as small business owners and the STEM fields, providing an accepting, supportive, and collaborative partnership so they can become confident in their financial future. The Saratoga Women in Business Spectacular is the first ever horse show created by women, operated by women, benefiting women's health, and showcasing women in business. This one-of-a-kind, extraordinary event is one you will not want to miss and is open to all competitors, both men and women, in the equestrian community. The Saratoga WIB Spectacular Horse Show is a USEF A-rated jumper three-star competition from July 13th through 17th, 2022, in Stillwater, New York. The Saratoga WIB Spectacular will partner and collaborate with equestrian businesswomen on this initiative. Exhibitors and attendees will be offered educational opportunities throughout the show and beyond to meet, interact, listen, and learn from a variety of remarkable women willing to share information about their careers and the paths they chose. For information on how to support Saratoga WIB Spectacular, visit www.saratogahorseshows.com. 
Hi, Anne. It's great to have you on today. We were excited to be able to talk to you about a couple different topics today. You're an early supporter of the podcast, which we really appreciate. And we're really looking forward to the opportunity to talk to you. Thanks for having me. I I enjoy talking. (laughs) (laughs) Good, because there's going to be a lot of it. Yeah, Um, so... I think I'm going to go ahead and jump in and get started with our first question. And we're going to ask you, at what point do you think people should start to invest with a financial planner and why? I want to break apart that question because Mm -hmm. there's financial planning and there's investments and it's not the same thing. And that's really important to understand because historically your stockbroker was your financial advisor. It was all about the investments, the stocks you're going to buy. And that was kind of it. And financial planning is figuring out what to do with your money to make sure that you're on the right track to get where you want to go in the future. And so there's really two different functions there. I do both. A lot of advisors, financial advisors do both. But a financial planner is different from someone who's managing your investments or can be. And so that actually leads to the answer to the question, when is your life complicated enough that you have financial questions that you want answered. You know, if you're young and you're working somewhere and they've got a 401k, you could probably figure out how much to save for retirement on the website, you know, the 401k website. As your life gets more complicated, maybe you get married, maybe you have kids, maybe you have, maybe there's a trust, maybe you have an inheritance of a very large amount of money. Maybe you change jobs. You're not sure what to do. As your life gets more complicated, whenever that happens, that's a good time to look at financial planning, right? What should I do with my money? And there's a lot of different ways to do that. You can have one question. You can find financial planners that will work with you on an hourly basis. You know, you just say, all I want to know is this. And can I pay you for an hour visit? And different people We'll do that. Some will, some won't. Once you get a really complicated life, like you've got kids, you're worried about what happens if something happens to me. Do I have the right insurance? You start getting into the more comprehensive financial planning. And so that's all a kind of service that you get. You can pay for it standalone. Investments, right? When do you want somebody to manage your investments? I tend to think that it helps to have $100,000 to $200,000 in your retirement accounts or your savings accounts. Most financial advisors who are going to manage your investments are going to have minimum somewhere in that range, mm-hmm. if not higher. And my minimum is $250,000. You tend to pay fee-based advisors based on a percent of your assets. And it doesn't make business sense for them to take you on as a client unless, and it doesn't make business sense for you to pay them if you don't have a fair amount. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my answer to that question. And can you do it yourself? Yeah. I did it myself for many, many years. It's why I ended up in this career because I figured out how much I loved it, but <laughs> you can absolutely do it yourself if you just have to pay attention and read and go out and learn things. Right. Can you walk us through the investment side in that process and what people expect when they hire you? So on the investment side of the house, the main thing when people work with me and what I believe everyone should be doing, you have to figure out what's the money for. 
right? Presumably you want your money invested to grow. What for? Because you have to know the time horizon. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about investments, we mean taking your money, going out, giving it to someone, a company or a municipality, right? That needs capital and they pay you for the, the ability to use your money while you don't need it. And then your money grows. That's investment. But if you're going to need your money next year, right? You're saving for the down payment in a house and you might pull the trigger in the next six months, that should be in a savings account, <laughs> Mm-hmm. you know, not in the stock market. So you need to think about what is the time frame or your ability to take on risk when you invest. So that's number one. What's the money for? The other side of this, how should you invest, right, is your sleep at night, your risk tolerance. If you take your money and you put it into stocks, and they go crash and you sell everything because you're so anxious, you you did just lose money. If they go down and you hang on until they go back up, which they do eventually, (laughs) you have the potential to still make money, but you haven't locked in your loss. So when people work with me, that's the first thing I talk to them about. Mm -hmm. When are you going to need the money? What are you going to be able to sleep through at night? Because if you call me up and say, sell it all into cash, oh my gosh, I can't. And I can't talk you out of that. I haven't done my job. So those are the two things that start with. And then after that, I am not, personally, I don't believe in complicated investments. I don't believe in the latest hot stock or meme, certainly not meme stocks. Or it's I'm very basic vanilla. All of the research that's been done is on how the markets work. We'll figure out how much you should have in stocks, how much you should have in bonds that are smoother, return less, but they go up and down less, how much you should have in cash, right? Your emergency fund and all that kind of. And then I use a very basic model based on that, that I revisit every year. And I use mutual funds to invest Mm -hmm. and exchange traded funds. So there's a professional manager picking the stocks. I don't pick stocks. It's not where I think I can add value. I add value on the planning side. I Mm -hmm. add value saying, you just told me you're not going to sleep at night if your portfolio goes down 20%. And yet you're telling me you want all your money in Tesla. It's like, (laughs) guess what? (laughs) Bad idea. That's where I add value. I say, that's not happening. And then I run over the portfolio and talk to the client. And it's however much they really want to understand. If they want to really dig in and know what's a mutual fund and why that mutual fund and why'd you pick that? Great. (laughs) I love that stuff. I'll geek out on it forever. If on the other hand, somebody's like, you know what, just kind of put it in there. Tell me how much it might go down. I don't look very often. That's fine too. Mm-hmm. You sound like you really work for your clients and you're flexible as far as how they want to invest their money and work with you. So if somebody's looking for a financial planner, what kind of tips can you give them that they should look for in a financial planner? Helping people. It's so cliche, but it's why I got into this business. I'm good at this stuff. I'm good at numbers. I'm good at statistics. But I also love 
solving people's problems. I don't have the problem. They come in with the problem or the goal or the, I want to retire. I love helping them get whatever their problem is based on who they are. That's what's really important to me. So when you're looking for a financial planner or someone to manage your investments or someone to do both, there are some things that I would say I I feel very strongly about. First of all, is looking at how that investment advisor is paid. This is really key because there are ways that historically people got paid based on commissions, right? If they Mm -hmm. traded for you, they got paid a commission, a stockbroker. There's also insurance products that are paid on a commission basis. There's separate from that, there is what's called fee-based where you have a maybe it's a percent of your assets under management or it's a flat fee. But if the client is the only person paying the advisor, the set of conflicts of interest becomes smaller. There are always conflicts of interest. However, when you have somebody who is paid based on which product they pick for you to recommend, that's a conflict of interest that it's hard for the client to see because they don't even know. They don't realize that there are five other choices if the advisor recommends something because that's why you go to an advisor, right? For them to have their expertise. So for me, I think it's extremely important to to look for a fee-based or in some cases they will use the logo fee only. That's number one, because then you know that you are paying the only person paying them to get their advice. And so that reduces a lot of conflicts of interest. The next thing I think is really important, and you mentioned this, I'm in this for my clients. I am, it's in my DNA, but I am also licensed as a fiduciary, just as Attorneys, doctors are fiduciaries, which means you are required by whatever governing board it is to act in your client's best interests, not in your own ever. And for example, the traditional stockbroker was not, is not, is still is not held to that standard. They're held to something suitable, but that's not the best for the client. So you want to look for someone that is registered as a registered investment advisor. I'm under the regulations of my state. Some are under the regulations of the SEC if they're big enough. And then the last thing I would say to look at is two more things. I'm babbling on, but this is really important. If you're looking for a financial planner, if you have a fairly complicated set of questions, or even if you don't, the certified financial planner or CFP means that you've got somebody who spent the time to take the six courses and sit for the seven hour exam and is doing their 16 hours of continuing education every year. I am a CFP. That's part of why I went and got it was because I wanted to know that I was keeping up with all of the things I needed to provide the best advice to my clients. Um, the very last thing is wrapped up in, in the fee-based and the fiduciary, but you need to be careful when you work with a financial advisor that calls himself that. First off, there are there's no laws. Everything I'm talking about, by the way, is, for, of course, for the USA. If you're listening outside of the mm-hmm. United States, I'm sorry, but... Um, <laughs> 
I, I, I don't know that world and I'm not licensed there, but yeah, if a, someone works for say an insurance company, they are going to be pushed to sell you products of the insurance company. Lots of good people work as financial advisors at insurance companies. They are not bad people. They are not trained. They're not given any, or they're trained that insurance is a a great way to invest. Insurance is not investment. (laughs) So that's the last thing I would say is I would personally recommend avoiding someone who's associated with a big insurance company, maybe even a big bank, uh, because they're going to be incentivized by their parent company to sell the parent company's products. If you you work with an independent advisor, then you're going to get, presumably, the best advice, but at least they won't be being incentivized in a way you can't see that's behind them that you you aren't aware of what recommendations to make to you. Red flags are not answering your questions, Hmm. not until you understand them, not telling you how they're paid or evading (laughs) that question. Offering free financial planning. Real financial planning is work and we get paid for it, as we should. (laughs) If someone offers you a free financial plan, they are trying to sell you something. And their recommendation will be a product that they make money on. I mean, that's just end of story. And then also any kind of promises of performance. That first off, it's illegal. It's against all the regulations that we're governed under if you're really licensed. Yeah. You can't predict the future. So if someone tells you they're going to make you a millionaire, run. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're not a professional. They're not licensed or being held to standards. So yeah, that that's kind of my list of, you know, and then a good fit, right? Someone you're comfortable with. Keep looking. Mm -hmm. Like when you look for a doctor, a therapist, I mean, this person is going to be dealing with some very personal issues with you. Don't have any problems with just simply saying, you know what? I just am not comfortable with this person. Keep looking because you have to find a match for you. And that's in particular, one of the reasons I tend to work a lot with women and I like working with women. I think a lot of it has to do with, they don't, (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know who your audience is. And if you this offends you, I'm sorry, but they don't get mansplained. Uh, you yeah. know, they, mm-hmm. they get ansplained, which means that I, <laughs> I, I, I actually ask, I want to know what they want to understand. I explain things until they understand it. And I make sure that their questions are all answered at the end. It's not, I'm trying to communicate knowledge. I'm not trying to use my knowledge as a, a weapon or a, a way of being reinforcing my superior position or something like that. And you don't have to be a man to do that. That can be done by a woman too. But mm-hmm. if, if you ever feel like you're not being treated the way you want to be treated, whatever that mm-hmm. is, move on. Yeah. I feel a little bit too, like people could say, well, do you trust them or not? Well, I mean, look at all the people who have been involved in financial scandals and <laughs> haven't had, and, and like they trusted those people. Right. So like he, having information and being able to make good decisions, I think is really important above and beyond trust, like you giving the right information. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of the scams 
have things in common, right? I'm going to make you 25% per year. No. (laughs) If somebody tells you, if somebody tells you that they're going to make you a certain amount of money a year without saying it like this, historically, the market stock market has returned about 8% and eight should be the highest number they'd use. Maybe they should say six going forward. It may be lower. We don't know. I don't know what the future is. This is what you should be hearing because it's the truth. You know, it is the truth. And a lot of those scams, they were too good to be true. But the problem you pointed out is people don't know that they don't know that you shouldn't be able to assume you're going to make 20% per year in the stock market. You know, if somebody says to you, I'm going to hand you the keys to a brand new Cadillac, no questions asked, everybody knows that's kind of too good to be true. Sketchy. Yeah. (laughs) But people don't necessarily know when it comes to the stock market. So the other thing to do is look someone's credentials up. I should have mentioned this. There's a website that FINRA, the financial organization that it's an industry organization, but it polices all of the registered brokers and stockbrokers and registered investment advisors. They have a website called Broker Check, and you can look somebody up and you can see their whether they are licensed, what licenses they hold, and you can see if they've had any disciplinary action against them. Same thing if someone is a CFP, the CFP board does track disciplinary things and makes things public. And you can go look them up again to see whether they have any disciplinary action against them. You know, I mean, obviously I'm biased. I have all the licenses and everything, but there's a reason why those of us who care go and get all the licenses and do all the training is because we want to make sure we're giving the best advice and we're following all the rules. Yep. Yeah, no, that's great to know. Do you think it's ever too late to start with a financial planner? I'm going to say no. I don't think it's ever too late to improve your situation. I mean, unless you're already like perfect and everything's optimal and you're gliding down the road, which you might ask a financial planner, is that true? (laughs) Right. Right. I think I'm okay. And I do, I get people that come in and, you know, I can do a quick hourly project for them to just review where they're at, but no, I don't think it's ever too late. And this is something people do get past the ideal point for reaching all of their goals and go, oh, wait, how did I get here? I'm not going to make it. But there's always something that you can do. It may be small, but even small changes can give you options, right? Mm -hmm. It may not get you that perfect thing you want, but at least if you have options, you're not as constrained. And I do, I've, I work with clients that don't have as much as they wished they did. I actually offer because I have minimums to, to work with me and I charge a, a reasonable amount for a, a full blown comprehensive plan. I actually do offer one hour free, no obligation meetings. You know, if somebody wants to get to know me and see if they want to work with me, that's how we start. But even if somebody does not have enough assets to work with me going forward, I feel like I want to be able to offer at least an hour of here, try these things or yes, you're on the right track or no, you're not. There's always something. And when I work with clients like that, it can be just adding ideas they hadn't thought of. Like Mm -hmm. they're having trouble. They got divorced, right? And they ended up keeping the house, but they can't quite make the mortgage payment. 
can you get a roommate? I mean, I know that sounds horrible, but think about it. What if you had somebody that wasn't so bad? How's, what is, how's your house set up? Is there a separate room? Could you get somebody to help you pay the mortgage? You sort of ask those kinds of questions that just start at the basics of cash flow and saving and that kind of thing. So, yeah. If someone is in a poor financial situation, what's kind of the first step to getting out of that? The, the main thing is you have to know where your money's going, right? Awareness. That, that's number one. If you don't know where you're spending your money or, or what the situation is, that's step number one. So obviously trying to help them figure out how they want to track their expenses. There's lots of online tools. They work differently. YNAB and you can get things from your bank probably has something on its website, that kind of stuff. If somebody really has that all set, right? And you can't solve the problem by just saying, okay, look, what if you didn't spend quite so much and you started saving it instead? Now, of course, right there, we're walking into behavioral issues. And I I love that part of the job. And I've done some separate studying on behavior and brain and behavior. And I do a bunch of workshops with a lady about that and behavioral finance, what kind of biases we have that we bring into our world in general. But some of them can be very strong around money. They can be, Mm -hmm. you know, really related to my sense of self-worth or my value, my family of origin. So some of the time, that's actually a lot of digging that comes in. I had clients that came in, young couple with kids, and they just were constantly buying, spending money in debt. And I, I talked about investing and growing. And the husband said, I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. The world's going to fall apart and money's not going to be worth anything and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, okay. I said, okay. And I think this was the first time anyone had actually said to him, all right, let's, let's go there. What is that scenario? I said, so money's not worth anything, you know, and he was very big on gold. I said, are, are you're going to like scrape some of your gold off your gold bar and take it into this <laughs> and they're going to give you groceries. I said, Okay, everything's falling apart. What you need is a skill you can barter with that everybody needs. You need a vegetable garden and a goat and a shotgun to keep everybody else out of your vegetable garden. And And what that did, well, it was, I was sort of being facetious, but it was the first time anybody had actually taken his feelings and sort of just explored them a little. Right. Mm-hmm. They ended up, I mean, and, and the, the wife came back and, and did talk to me about it a little bit, but I mean, they ended up sort of segueing into a lot of therapy and a lot of work to figure out what was really going on here. You know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. What's the I underlying fear of investing your money really? Right. Which was also leading to kind of that short term. I just spend, I spend, I spend, I spend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't have a sense of the future. That was what was really going on. And so, yeah, I I mean, they're not, they're, they're not clients anymore. We did financial planning. It it really, they needed other help, not me, (laughs) Um, but that's fine too. But then there are times when just some of that phrasing it, talking about your goals, what are you afraid of letting people go through that process, going through it with them. 
That's really important. And it's becoming a much bigger topic of discussion in financial advisor circles. We're getting a lot more awareness of it, training on it, people with different courses you can learn to do, you know, to help your clients with the behavioral finance side of it. So that's really where, you know, I think being interested in that and willing to go there, I don't have a problem if people share. I I mean, I've been told by clients, one of the things they like about working with me is that I never judge. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why, how would I have, think I have the right to judge anybody else? I mean, you know, I'm not a saver. I wasn't a saver. I was a spender. I had credit card debt. I, Mm -hmm. I took the first $10,000 I had out of my 401k and paid the penalty when I got married because I wanted to pay off my credit card debt and not go into my marriage in debt. Uh, right. You're not mm-hmm. supposed to do that. You're not supposed right. to take your money out of your 401k and pay a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, maybe, maybe you do. You maybe sometimes you, you do. Right. Uh, well, I mean, you paid off debt. I paid off a stud fee with a IRA that I had that I that I withdrew from because I wasn't at the company anymore. And I was like, Oh, look at this money. Okay. I can pay a stud fee for it. So, I mean, <laughs> no, I completely understand. And I do think that one of the problems that people have even approaching this subject is they're, they're worried and embarrassed and afraid yes. that they're going to get judged by what's in their bank account. And, you know, I think you and just the have decisions to, they've made. Yeah. And poor decisions yeah. they've made, like paying stud fees, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, see the interesting thing is too, and, and obviously there are some things that I think are just like a generally a bad idea. But one of the things <laughs> I also say to clients is the numbers are only half the story. Right. I'm here and I, I run the numbers. You got to know the numbers. You got to understand the numbers. Right. You take the money out for 10%. Okay. So you take $1,000 and you're going to pay dollars in a tax penalty. Right. But the other side of any decision is the value to you. Right. I mean, yeah. it's not, if it was worth $1,000 to me, to go into my marriage debt-free. Now, I don't think I necessarily thought it through that clearly. This is where I help clients. I say, let's really think this through, right? Is This is what's going to happen. Now you tell me if that is worth it to you and let's see what it does to your future. And that's the other thing. You have to connect current. That's what planning is, right? Connect current decisions around anything, but money is what I do with your future, and become intentional about, that's why the company is called Intentional Finance, become intentional in the context of your future you, okay? Which is very hard to do. Human beings live do not live in their future selves. They live in their current selves. So your future is very hard to envision. So that's what I do. I bring that, help them bring whatever their future is into their present. But even so, all of that happening if there's a value to someone, to something, then, then that's what you do. If the numbers say you should not take the money out of your 401k, but the value to you is high enough that you're willing to commit to a savings plan to re-put the money back in. Okay. Yeah. 
And I feel like this really kind of goes hand in hand with the next question about like the horse industry, right? And that we're we're so paycheck to paycheck and we don't think about the future and down the line. So what are some things that you could tell people that are in this industry that are living paycheck to paycheck where there's a lot of cash being exchanged to make them a little more financially savvy for their future? I mean, I think it does start with the, the step I mentioned, the first step, which is awareness. If you're running a business in particular, it's very easy to just get subsumed in all the details. But we know from a business standpoint, we should be sticking our head up every now and then, right? It's Sunday morning after coffee or it's you know Monday afternoons. There's some time you work on your business, not in your business, but on your business, right? What is this business I'm running? What do I want it to be? Why am I doing the things I'm doing? It's the same thing for your financial life. It's the same way of of saying, okay, hang on, where do I want to be financially? And, you know, three years from now, five years from now, when do I think I'm going to want to stop working? And then it helps to have someone say to you, okay, that's great. You're going to work until you're 85, except people don't. So let's think about, and what if something happens because you can't control it, right? Right. So that's where the financial planner comes and steps in. But I think the first step really is you've got to get a handle on where you are. You have to find a space in that, in that every day and the horses have to get fed and the orders have to get sent out and the whatever has to happen. And I think part of the problem in the horse industry, it can be a little hard. I don't know for those who actually have horses as part of their horse business, they have to get fed. You can't say I'm going to stop for a week and go away. Well, maybe you can, if you can find somebody, I have Angela, (laughs) I found Angela we're going to go on trips this year for the first time, but um, (laughs) I have five horses at my house and we had a fire at my house um, in November of 2020. And we had to move out for a year. Nothing, nobody was hurt. Nothing, nothing, you know, precious was burnt, but smoke through the whole house. And so they had to take everything down to, to uh, framing and, and spray it all and, you know, de-smoke it, whatever. But as part of that, my horses are at my house and I, they, some of them don't get in trailers. Um, that never happens. Right. And, um, <laughs> and so I found this wonderful woman, Angela, who came out and fed my horses twice a day during the fire. So that was another like wonderful thing that I now have somebody that can come and do that. So now I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm babbling away. So I will come back to the question even for your business and for your personal life, you just have to make a space and say, I am going to stop. I'm going to think about the future. If you need a glass of wine to do it or some chocolate or whatever it is, (laughs) get yourself some nice stuff, set it down and just write out what, where do you want to be? And then take that awareness piece, right? I'm going to sit down and really figure out where I'm spending all my money and the future piece and try to connect the dots because the future tells you, helps you to make decisions in the present. I mean, business, let's say your plan for your business is to be an online retailer of something or you're selling something. 
and somebody comes to you and says, ah, the storefront, you know, just, just came open. It's such a good deal. You should go do this. And you're sitting there going, it's a good deal. It's a good deal. I could, I could rent this storefront. And then you're like, wait a minute, I don't want to be a store. I don't want to be a retail store, right? That lets you walk away from the good deal. Or you decide, oh, wait a minute, there's an opportunity, but I've got to go back and I got to revise my business plan if I, if I go ahead and do this, right? It just puts context around things. So find the time, find the time to get out of the weeds and look at the big picture. And if you can't do that yourself, then get somebody to help you do it. Get a business planner to help you do it. Get a financial planner to help you do it. I have two more questions. Is there a certain amount of time, like every day, every week, that somebody should be looking at their finances and dedicating it? Or is that like a person-to-person basis? I think that's person-to-person. It it really depends on your complexity and how automated you have things. And, you know, some people do everything in paper. Some people have all of their accounts linked into something that tracks all their spending for them. And looking once a week is fine or once a month is fine. And, and are you smooth? Are your is your budget all set? And, you know, I have a, I have a client who is going to do quite well. He makes, he doesn't make a lot of money. He has a nice little nest egg. It's not huge, but it's a good size. And he's going to be just fine when he goes into retirement. He can tell me the price of avocados. He goes, he loves avocados and he has a price point. And he will buy them if they're below X. And if they're above X, he does not. I mean, he just lives his budget. Yeah. Hmm. You know, if you're there, it's just all inside. If you're working on reining in your spending, probably more often. Yeah. Maybe even every day, if it's your intention to become better with your money, maybe it's every day. Maybe it's every purchase. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I think it's more of a a daily awareness at that point. Maybe it's not sitting down and looking at everything, but like you said, with every purchase, it's an awareness of, do I need this or do I need this right now? Or is there a different way to get this or can it wait? Am I, am I buying because I'm worried? (laughs) Am I buying things? Because I mean, that was, I, I grew up, an only child. My father had a lot of depression and anxiety. He never really held a job down. Both of my parents were academics and they never talked about money ever. It was just just not a topic that was discussed. And I found out many years later, my mother never had a credit card. She never bought anything on credit. She never had a credit. I mean, we lived in an apartment building in New York city. So again, no mortgage, no car, but she had no debt. I never knew that. Right. She never told me any of that. She grew up in a depression. She, you know, made her own clothes, sewed her own clothes. And my grandmother canned and all of that. But my mother saw this as a negative. And so she, she wanted to avoid it, you know, and be in that world of academics and thought and, and ideas. And I mean, when I wanted to get a summer job as a waitress, she was like, no, because it would be so hard, right? She wanted to <laughs> spare me from things. So it was all done with great, you know, care and thought for me. 
But as a result, I never understood anything about money growing up Mm -hmm. at all. And we would go down twice a year. You know, we always shopped at like Gimbel's or Macy's, the, the more discount places, which, you know, we're fine. Twice a year, once in the fall, once in the spring, we would go to Fifth Avenue. And we would go to Saks Fifth Avenue or Lord and Taylor. We never went into Abercrombie and Fitch. That was, that was too high end, but, and we'd get something, you know, like I'd get my spring, my Easter dress, or I'd get my winter coat and we would look at everything and I would try it on. And then I would kind of, and I knew these things were expensive. I mean, I could see the numbers on the tags and then she would say, okay. And we'd get this one thing and we'd put it in, you know, you'd come home with the shopping bags but she would always make me stand by the front door and wait to see where my father was. And then we'd have to sort of walk the bags quickly past him because he would get upset that we were spending money. Mm. And I was never quite sure what that meant. Right? Was, was this. So what I actually learned was that message that got imprinted on me is that if you can buy things, then everything's okay. Well, guess what I did when I first got my first engineering job and I was making exactly the same salary as my mother, the art historian professor at Barnard College. (laughs) I bought things. (laughs) Right. I bought a car, I bought a gold watch, I bought a bunch of things. And every time I charged up my credit cards and I got very upset with myself, I made all my payments because I was lucky. I was making a really good income. Mm -hmm. But I would get anxious. I would set up a whole payment plan. And as soon as I felt comfortable, I'd go buy things again. Yeah. So, you know, this is a pattern, my pattern, everyone, we all have our own patterns around money. And the trick is figure out what they are, be aware, be kind to yourself, but be intentional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about people, you know, looking at what they want in the future, I feel like there's so many people who don't know like how much they should have or, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what direction, what the end result would be. So like mapping out a path is very difficult. How would you recommend that people actually do that? Like how do they decide, okay, this is like how much I need or want or for my end result. So I know how to get there. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge. That's a challenge. It is what I help people with, but in a general sense, you want to do two things. You want to look at what you think you might need in the future. And you want to look at what you think you might have for income sources. So if you're working for a company or maybe you're working for, um, you know, a state university, you've got a pension, you know, you can kind of do some rough estimates of I'm going to have this much money and do all your, just do all your calculations in today's dollars. If everything you're doing will, will get an inflation adjustment. So if your pension is going to adjust for inflation, okay. If your social social security adjusts, it's not great. So you want to have some margin and all this, make it really work well. But if you can look at your social security projections, right, you keep working like this, you'll have this pension, you'll have this social security. And then one place to start is, am I happy with the standard of living I have now? If you have kids, you're saving for college, you're doing all sorts of stuff, you're doing all these activities, maybe you won't need as much. If you're single or you have kids, but you're not saving for their college, they can go pay for it themselves. Maybe you really do need to replace it. So that's kind of the starting point, right? 
what do I think in today's dollars it would take for me to live in that, in that future life? And, and mm-hmm. this is where financial planner helps because this is complicated, right? It, yeah. it's, am I going to live? Am I going to sell my house? Am I going to be in my house and it's paid off? But you, you can do it. I mean, if you're, if you're mathematically minded and you can do it in an Excel spreadsheet, I did that for years. <laughs> we have tools that will do kind of that, all of those projections. There's software planning software. It's not the kind of stuff you, you're going to access as an individual. It costs too much money. It's a professional tool. but And it helps having an advisor or a planner to explain you know, the results to you. But you put all of those pieces together and you'll come out with a number. Now, there are also just some rules of thumb that you probably should be saving 10 to 15% of your gross income into something that's invested at some ex- to some extent in the stock market. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one place to start. But then, of course, that doesn't take into account if you have pensions or you have Social Security in the background. Those can reduce how much you might, you know, if you have pensions. Social Security is kind of included in that. It's not going to, it might keep you from being homeless on the street, but it's not going to support most of the lifestyles people really want to have. Right. Um, if you've earned enough money over your life to have your full Social Security benefit of, you know, $30,000 a year, you weren't living on $30,000 a year um, to that point. So that's a touchier question. It's a harder question. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you start getting to that point, talking to a financial planner, that's a good time to talk to a financial planner. If you can find somebody who works hourly and you can just sort of say, all I want to know is if I, if I'm going to be okay when I retire, if I save this much, they should be able to sort of tackle that project by asking you those questions, figuring out what you want to plan for. And some of the time too, you work on it the other way around. You just sort of say, okay, I am currently saving 10% of my income. That's X dollars. And my, you know, maybe my employer is matching this much or they're not. How much money would that get me when I'm 67, right? Or 70. And then you can say, does that sound like enough? Right. But then you got to do some math in between. You've got to say, well, I'm invested like this and I expect this kind of rate of return on my investment. Mm-hmm. Again, that's where the professional does begin to help. Okay. Do you like the fact that employers can get involved with financial planning? Like, do you think they should help their employees with that? A lot, I think a lot of our listeners are more small business owners and. I think can find that daunting. And do you think that's something that should be offered? So I, I do think that from a business standpoint, and and I don't have the exact references at my fingertips, but financial stress will reduce your employees performance. There are studies that show that. So at some point in time, when your business is big enough to afford whatever the investment is into helping your employees with their finances, you do get return on that. You'll mm-hmm. get retention, you'll get, you know, less stress. And, and so from a small business standpoint, though, of course, when do you have the money to do that? 
Maybe you're growing and the next money is hiring somebody else, right, to do additional work. But what I would say is the other advantage to a small business owner to looking into something like this is it helps the small business owner think about it too. So one of the things that I... I love is, you know, individuals can go out and, and open an IRA, right. An an individual retirement arrangement account. Um, and they can put, if they're under 50, um, they can put, you know, $6,000 a year into that account pre-tax and it gets saved and compounds and it's there in retirement. But if you do it through the business, you get the advantage of payroll deduction, which makes things automatic. And it makes, mm-hmm. we know psychologically that helps people save. Well, it can help the business owner too. <laughs> I mean, right. if you do payroll, it sort of depends on how you're, where your business is with everything. What yeah. I, I like to recommend for small business owners is they look at something called a simple IRA. Wow. I forgot what simple stands for. It's an acronym S I M P L E, but it's a, an employer sponsored plan where you open IRA accounts, simple IRA accounts for anybody that's participating, including the business owner. The business does have to either contribute 2% of the employee's salary for everyone who works there, no matter whether they contribute themselves or not, or Mm -hmm. you can set it up to match. So you can match, you have to match 3%. And there are some rules. You can drop it down to 1% and blah, blah. It's not always 3%. But it's think of it as I'm going to give my, my employees a 3% raise if they put the money in. So right. there's, again, an incentive where you're helping your employees to save. And it will cost you. The, the plan itself is is very easy to administer. There's no paperwork that I mean, you have to fill paperwork out, but you just put it in a drawer. You don't even like file it with the IRS. Mm-hmm. Um, I helped a, a local, we have a local nonprofit health clinic and it serves a poor area in, in uh, Albuquerque. And I helped them set up a, a simple IRA plan because they just, they wanted to do something for their employees. So I highly recommend anybody that's looking at, okay, I want to do something for my employees or I'm ready to start saving, right, from my business profits. There are maximum amounts, uh, it's like 13500 that you can anybody can put in to the mm-hmm. simple IRA plan. And, and then the match is only 3%. So somebody could save a lot more. You are only required to match the, up to the 3%. That's the place to look. That's the first place to look. If you have a a business and you don't have a lot of employees, you probably want to look at what's called a SEP, SEP IRA plan, which is, again, something an employer can do. The reason I say it's, it's a lot more restrictive in terms of you have to put the same percentage in. The employees don't participate. In the SEP plan, only the business puts the money in. and if you're just you in the business and you suddenly got profits and you want to start saving for retirement, that's a great way to do it. Cause you just put it in for yourself and you're not required to put it in for anybody else. Yeah. You have to put an equal percentage in. And so that's not a great choice if you have employees. Um, but do you rec- the kind of stuff to talk to an advisor about and they should be able to yeah. help you. Okay. 
Do you recommend more of like a simple IRA versus 401k for employers to offer? A 401k plan is going to be much more expensive and much more paperwork for the employer. Now, there are there are situations where if it's just you and maybe your spouse, a 401k plan, you can do what's called a solo 401k. Really what it is is the it's it's all the same regulations under the IRS, but they have limited filing requirements if you have fewer than a certain number of people or you have less than $250,000 in the plan. Mm-hmm. The thing about a 401k plan is that, so remember the other two, the SEP and the simple had IRA in the name. With mm-hmm. those plans, you just go to some custodian, uh, you know, Fidelity, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, a bank, and you open IRA accounts for each of the clients, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the employees. And the money gets put in there, you know, either by the company or they put theirs in through salary deferral and you put your match in. A 401k plan is an actual entity. Mm-hmm. It's an entity under the Department of Labor that holds the money. And so at that point, you now have more complexity. You have to have some kind of third-party administrator who takes care of the money. And in those IRA accounts, the owner of the account, the employee or the employer, if it's their account, they pick what to invest in. Uh, if you have a, an IRA account at Fidelity, you go on to the Fidelity website and you pick what you want to buy. I mean, nobody helps you. That's the yeah. drawback. But you, you, you can invest in whatever you want. 401k plan, the employer is the, is the sponsor of the plan and they have fiduciary responsibility to provide investment options that are excellent. Okay. And people are getting sued. Companies are getting sued by their employees for having high cost options. And 401k is just, unless it's just you and maybe your spouse, and you really want to save like the $57,000 limit a year, because suddenly your business is doing great and you're way behind, Mm -hmm. then yeah, 401k plan. And you can add, you add some other, you know, things on top of it. And you can start saving a lot of money towards your retirement. But again, if you have employees, you're not going to be able to really separate it out and it will be more work. And, and, but it will also for really big corporations, it's where they want to go because they have, now they have this big thing. They offer their employees with train. You know, you go to the website on the 401k provider and lots of training. And are you saving enough for retirement? And here's all your plan choices. And I'm going to automatically opt you in and you have to opt out and all these good things. So 401k plans are great for big employers. They're going to be really unnecessary for a small business unless it's, just one person and they have a ton of money they want to save more than they can get into a set. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. We're going to shift a little bit and talk a little bit about you and your interesting background that you've had and that you've had a lot of career changes. And I just was wondering if you can tell us what the most important thing you have learned along the way from all of your knowledge and background. Background, I started out planning to be an astrophysicist. 
that was all I really knew was the academic world. And I was good at math and science. And it was in the 70s, late 60s and 70s. And there was the women's lib movement. And if you were good in math and science, somehow or other, you kind of owed it to womanhood to become a some kind of scientist. <laughs> Plus, my mother was the art historian, and she was more available to me. My father was the one with depression who was not mm. as available to me, and he was a physicist. So, okay. you know, it was kind of, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to get a PhD like mom and dad. Yeah. So... I ended up getting degrees in physics. So I went to Princeton and I, then I went on to Caltech to get ostensibly to get a PhD. And when I was, I finally got from the East coast to the West coast far enough away from everything and went, what am I doing? I don't like <laughs> this. I don't like this really. I, I felt like I had been hiding. I had been, you know, sort of total imposter syndrome for mm. um, all the time that I had been there. And I mean, I was just, uh, it's smart. I'm very smart. Okay. Very good with numbers. But that that meant was that I could keep doing it without caring it, really wanting to. Right. So yeah. eventually as I was in graduate school at Caltech, I just, I got through the masters and I went, I'm done. And I ended up just sort of falling out. Well, what do I do now? And it was a big software boom, defense industry boom. And one of my roommates, boyfriends worked for a software company owned by Lockheed Martin. And he offered me a job, like I said, at the same salary that my mother, who was at the time, I don't think she was quite a full professor yet, but mm -hmm. I, I was making the same money as my mother in my entry right. level job. And I was like, cool, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> and then I found that I really liked designing software. I, I liked designing stuff, solving problems, financial mm -hmm. planning, you start with, what am I trying to do? Right? What are my goals? What resources do I have to apply? How much time do I have? Or how much money do I have? What can I save? Or what kind of computer am I writing software for? Constraints, right? What, what are the laws, the rules around Roth IRAs? How do they work? Or you can only write this many lines of code for this compiler until it chokes and then you can't do write something bigger than that and then you design it you build a plan and then you run it and you see how it works and that's that's what the common thread has been through all of my life is solving problems by analyzing where i'm trying to go and what i have to work with and that's financial planning too it all turns out to be the same thing. What I really learned through my career, because I spent 30 years in the defense industry, I wrote software, then I became a program manager where I did all of this exact kind of planning. I became a business, a division manager. Ultimately, I just decided I didn't want other people telling me directly what my life was like, because to be blunt, they were always men and... <laughs> about 10%, 5% of them knew what they were doing. <laughs> and they got their jobs because they looked like the guy who was hiring them. Yeah. Now I got my opportunities. I periodically that 5% showed up and was in charge of something and said, yes, you can do this. You can become a program manager. You can become mm -hmm. my business manager. But that person that mentor or the person who actually believed in me and understood 
what I offered and saw what I brought to the table, which was usually different from what the male managers who were all the grand visionaries and details, pa, who cares? <laughs> I, you know, they needed me. They needed the detail person, but I never had the good fortune to work for a manager, male or female, who understood that they needed to put together a team of people not like them, right? That, that the best team was going to be complementary people in different roles. And as a result, I just never, I, I, you know, there, there are people out there, there are women who've done well in the defense industry and engineering, but there also is a lot of just inherent gender bias. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily nasty or mean, I mean, my very last job in the defense industry, I changed jobs into a hostile workplace. I was got a little warning ahead of time and I ignored it and I thought I could handle it. And it, it was the best thing that ever happened because when the guy involved walked me out the door, the attorney I consulted said, you could sue, you would win. They did what was the first thing she said. And then she said, and don't. And I said, yeah, no, I'm leaving. But that was the, the final kicker that gave me this chance to actually pursue something that is making me way more happy. Mm -hmm. So in a way, the thing that I've learned is you can keep making changes. You can don't, don't get stuck. Don't feel <laughs> like there are no options for you. You know, is it ever too late to start financial planning? No. Is it ever too late to start life planning? No, no. Uh, you know, right. believe that if you're not happy, there's something else out there and it's not necessarily you that's causing the problems. That, <laughs> that was the big lesson for me. And it's also why I enjoy, I do like working with women in general, but I also like working with women business owners and women in the STEM fields because mm -hmm. I like working with women that are in otherwise sort of male-dominated professions or businesses. Financial advising. I think we're only women are still only 25% of financial advisors. My partner and I are both women. That was very important to me that that we are women-owned. We have a woman assistant and it is my intention, um, you know, something happens to me tomorrow, my partner will take over my clients, but it's my intention to find a younger woman who wants a chance to function in that kind of more collaborative, supportive environment and who really wants to help people change their lives and give her a chance to grow into the business and then become my successor in, you know, years from now, obviously. But that was part of starting my own business was actually looking to be able to bring another woman on other women on board into mm -hmm. that a different environment than the, the sales push, 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 sell this much of that product. And, and a lot of the financial world can be like that. So yeah. that's awesome. Great. Well, it was so awesome talking to you about this and to learn more about your 
really interesting background. I could do a whole nother show about uh, <laughs> astrophysics and that side of things because yeah. I think it's fascinating, but <laughs> we'll have to move on to our rapid fire questions, which are ones that we ask um, every guest in each episode. Connor usually starts with the first question. So what is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? I thought about this for a while and my answer is breathe. (laughs) Breathe. I can see that. Stop. We get all in our thing and we get all head up with it. You're working with horses. That's the best thing you can do is breathe because Mm -hmm. they can tell when you're not breathing and things don't go well when you're not breathing (laughs) because they know it. But the same thing, take that moment, come back to where you're at, take a deep belly breath. Literally, I mean that literally, you know, Mm -hmm. put your hand on your stomach, your hand on your chest, breathe out, breathe in and have your stomach hand go out and your chest hand stay down. Learn to belly breathe, learn to just let it go whenever things are getting crazy. Mm -hmm. That's great. I I love that. What is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? For me, exercise and movement is really, really important. Recently, I have actually taken to, um, I need to get sun in the wintertime. I have that seasonal affective disorder where I need sunlight in the winter. And I have my horses at my house and it's usually sunny in New Mexico. So I, I actually do a, I've studied Tai Chi and different martial arts in the past and a lot of different meditation styles. And so the habit I've been using this year so far is in the mornings after I fed the horses, I go out and stand next to them while they're tossing their hay nets around violently, trying to make (laughs) all the little good bits fall out. And I get my sunlight and I do meditation and Tai Chi for 15 to 20 minutes every morning. And it's a way of, of sort of resetting my intentions for the day. Some days I think about my day and what I want it to be. Other days I just do an absolute empty the mind meditation, whatever it is that I, I need to sort of kick my day off. Right. Because I, I wake up and uh, the to-do list like slaps me in the face. You know, I I carry it around with me mentally everywhere. And I just Mm -hmm. need that chance to breathe in the mornings and then feel like, cause I I like to run away from the to-do list when it's too long. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Identify that for sure. Mm-hmm. So our last question is, what is your favorite horse movie? So this is an interesting question. I'm not a big movie person and I'm probably going to be very boring and say the black stallion. Yeah. I read the books growing up. They were just my fancy world of like, this would be heaven. I mean, not being mm-hmm. you know, crashed on a boat and shipwrecked and all that. <laughs> um, I actually, at one point, I measured the, we had a, we had two elevators in the apartment building. One of them was a a service elevator. They used to come and get the trash on. And I, I once measured that to figure out if I could get a horse up into my apartment, if I could get a horse (laughs) in my apartment. And so, but yeah, that, the movie was just so beautifully done, just visually so gorgeous. And yeah. Great. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. We really appreciate your support of Equestrian B2B and hope that people can get a lot out of what you 
talk to us today about. And be sure people know, um, like I said, I will sit and talk over Zoom with anybody for an hour for free. No obligation. You have questions. You want to know what's a Roth IRA or you want to know, you know, just get in touch. I'm assuming all my contact info will be there. Get in touch and we'll we'll schedule something and I can I, I love explaining things. So, awesome. It's awesome. Um, that's that's an offer to all of the listeners. Whether whether you think you need to, you know, work with me going forward or not, please take advantage mm-hmm. of that. It makes me feel good. All right, great. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So I really enjoyed speaking to Anne because I have so many financial questions and (laughs) (laughs) like holdups about it. Right. And and being concerned. And you know, what's really funny is that um, before I worked at in the farm and for pharmaceuticals and what have you, I worked in the medical finance and you know, I, I did a lot of contracts and I did a lot of lending for doctors and organizing those, the lending and, and I really hate finance. (laughs) (laughs) which is what made me change to going to the farm. But yeah, I still have like all these hangups about it and anxiety over finances. Yeah. I thought it was really fascinating when she started talking about taking classes about behavioral finance and, you know, even giving examples of people that she talked to that she, you know, identifies an underlying issue of why they're acting that way and how it affects your finances. I thought that was really interesting. You know, like the last episode when Martha talked about, you know, her psychology degree helping her in the real estate field. It's the same kind of thing here in being able to understand your client and why they are doing the things they do in order to better help them. And I think that applies across really so many businesses. And that's kind of what marketing is, right? Is understanding Mm -hmm your customer and who they are and you know, what they're, what kind of person they are and why your product or service is suited for them. So I think it applies so many ways, but she's really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Really an interesting person. You know, I was a psych major when I went into college Mm -hmm. and then I changed to marketing, um, which I think, like you said, is kind of hand in hand and it's, um, I don't know, just behavior around finances. She's so right, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and trying to get control of it and forming good habits is really like a challenge. And I find it very interesting. I read a lot of books on habit change and trying to find better solution. And it made me actually think when she was saying how, you know, a lot of times it's going down to the root problem and figuring that out why you have hangups over finance and i like i think about different people in my life and i'm like oh yeah like my husband hates change i think that's like part of a problem financially is you know you always do what you've always done because you don't like the change and mm-hmm. you know um yeah getting i can see getting to the the root of the problem to, yeah. to move forward and she's super interesting that she would take the time with her clients to like break that down yes. right Yes. And to have that type of relationship in a business that from the outside doesn't initially look like it would be that way. And I also 
think, I mean, obviously she's super smart. She's an astrophysicist. So, mm-hmm. but I think one thing that I really saw in her was how well she can explain concepts to people who don't understand them and maybe yeah. who aren't good with numbers. And I thought she was really good with that. Like even just asking the question between IRAs and 401ks, like, yeah. you know, I didn't realize there was that major of a difference. I haven't done a ton of research into it, but I think she was really good at explaining things, which is so helpful when you have somebody that you're kind of, you need to trust with your money mm-hmm. and someone who's willing to take the time to explain things to you is really valuable. Well, and I think it gives our listeners a good sense of like somebody who is really good at their job, right? So even yeah. if you're not going to use somebody like Anne, like you, at least you know the type of person that you should be looking for when you're trying to find financial advice. Somebody that's going exactly. to answer those questions and not just promise you money. Yep. Yeah. That was great. I really enjoyed it. I could see her like coming back again for more topics in the future. (laughs) I know. I think we could have gone on another hour. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go plan your finances. 